Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. So today, I, I, I last week I said I was going to do a standalone message. Today might be a standalone. I, I may piggyback off of it next week. I don't have an official series ready to launch right now. I do have some series that we're going to be launching in the future. But um, there's just been a lot that's been happening in our church. And, um, you know, with the sale of the building, um, us thinking that we were supposed to be out in November, now being, um, now we have another 12 to 18 months in this building with really the possibility to, to purchase all of this property. There's just a lot been happening. So um, I wanted to just kind of bring a, a uh, a message out of our, our normal flow. Uh, in March 2019, Katie and I went to a pastor's leaders conference in Tampa. And while I was there, I felt the Lord clearly say to me, raise the level of your expectation. Um, and I came back and I shared this with the church. Those of you that have been with us for several years, you'll remember, maybe you'll remember that. It wasn't a topic of any of the speakers, um, you know, talks or messages. It wasn't a theme or a subject that anyone really discussed, but I could just sense the voice of the Holy Spirit uh, inside saying, raise the level of your expectation. And so I wrote that down in my journal. And then the question that I began to ask after that was, well, how do I raise the level of my expectation? So I wanted to share some things with you today. Expectation is learned behavior, meaning that we learn what to expect based on our life experiences. I mean, that's why kids are more apt to believe whatever they're told because they don't have enough life experience to, or enough disappointments to mold them or shape them to believe otherwise. When you tell them something, they just believe it. Mark Batterson, one of my favorite authors, a pastor in uh, Washington, D.C., says, uh, quote, neuroimaging has shown that as we age, our cognitive center of gravity shifts from the imaginative right brain to the logical left brain. And then he says this, at some point, most of us stop living out of imagination and start living out of memory. And that's the day we stop creating the future and we start repeating the past. Living out of memory, that's expectation. We remember how a situation went down the last time. Our brain remembers those moments. And even if it isn't in the forefront of our mind, that memory can be triggered and brought to the surface at any given time. So when a result or a consequence is repeated, it creates expectation. Now, if you're the parent of kids, especially small kids, you're living this life. It's called discipline. Anybody try to discipline your children? Right, we're trying to instill into our kids that if they act a certain way, or if they act in a way that's unbecoming, they should expect, their expectation should be that there's a consequence coming. Right? You have to teach your kids that there are consequences for certain behaviors. And over time, with consistency and a lot of prayer and hope and crying and begging, our kids will begin to associate bad choices with negative consequences. And the flip side is also true. Like good behavior right, brings blessing. And um, so it's also true for, we, we often think of consequences in the negative sense, but it's re in the reality, it's just the, it's the result of an action, good or bad. I want you to watch this video from two years ago when Emmett, our, he's about to turn four on Monday. Uh, on Monday? Next Monday. He'll be four. Uh, but he, it was two years ago. He was two, about to turn three. 
And uh, this was us kind of walking through this process of expectations. All right, this is me trying not to laugh. Are you ready to be nice? No. Why did you hit Bennett? Did you hit Bennett? Sit down. Why did you hit him? Is that being a nice boy? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to be nice now? Um, Are you going to hit Bennett anymore? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are. You are going to hit him? Yeah. Don't hit. You understand? Don't hit Bennett. Don't hit him. Do you understand? You understand? Are you sorry? Yeah, I'm sorry too. You sorry for hitting Bennett? Um, yeah. Okay. Okay, you can get up. You're going to be a good boy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, expectations. There was a time Kate and I were questioning our discipline process for a while. We're like, I don't think this is working. We need to have to call Nanny 911. I don't know what's happening. But now there's expectations have been built because of the consistency and things aren't quite as crazy as it used to be. And um, so maybe you're asking, what does this have to do with anything? What I want us to, to, to see is that expectation is learned behavior. So just in that simple sense, Ben and Emmett know the expectation is if you hit your brother, there's going to be a consequence. Right. So expectation it's learned behavior. Have you ever met someone for the first time and immediately thought to yourself, I don't really like that person? Yeah. Only a few of us. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I think some of you are lying. Um, but we do that. We meet somebody once and we're like, I don't walk away. You're like, I don't really like that person. Why is that? It's because our minds are, it's like they're literally, our mind are literally Googling all of the people that we've ever met. And it narrows it down to these uh, certain types of people, people that probably we didn't like before, because those kinds of people always act this way or that way, or those kind of people cause me pain in my past. My expectation is this new person will create pain in my future. So what do we do? We put up walls based on our pain, our trauma. And then we miss out sometimes on meaningful, deep relationships because of the past. And it's all based on the learned behavior of expectation. This concept is surely part of the reason that Jesus said we must have childlike faith. Remember I said earlier that children just believe things. Why? They believe without reservation. In Matthew 18, verse 1, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then he called to them, a child. And he placed the child among them and he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus describes these little ones as those who believe in him. 
we too are often like little children in the beginning. We start off with the mind capable of believing that anything is possible and dreaming of things that are beyond the realm of our current reality. But life experience and people reel us in and they cause us to stumble. Instead of encouraging people to go for it, we often tell them why it will never work. We become but people instead of and people. Meaning someone will say, you know, someday I'd like to fill in the blank. Someday I'd like to start my own business. Someday I'd like to retire in the Caribbean. Someday I'd like to hike the Grand Canyon from rim to rim. And our immediate response is, yeah, but. Yeah, but there's so much risk with starting your own business. Yeah, but there's tons of hurricanes and all kinds of craziness in the Caribbean. And yeah, but there's so much danger in the Grand Canyon, snakes, or you could fall, you could die of thirst, whatever. Yeah, but. I mean, how many of you know some folks with some big old butts? <laughs> Every time you share your dream or an idea with them, it's yeah, but. Now listen, this is kind of a side note, but you can't just share your dream with everybody. You have to be cautious about who you share your biggest dreams with. You don't need someone putting their big old butt all over you. You need someone who will come alongside of you and lift you up and encourage you and push you to be all that God has called you to be. We need some and people in our lives. A few years ago, we talked about this exact concept. And Adrian, my oldest son, and Brent, who's hiking the Appalachian Trail today or this week, uh, they were tasked with the the or they were given the task to come up with a skit. It was a yeah, but and a and a yeah and skit. And so, what would happen is one person would say this outlandish idea, and the other person would meet them with yeah, but. And there's not much to say after that because it stifles creativity. It limits our capacity. And we contrasted that with, yeah, and the same concept. Someone would come up with this outlandish idea. And instead of, yeah, but they were tasked with saying, yeah, and. Well, what if we did buy this property? Yeah. And we could build an amazing playground for kids for the community to come and play on. What if we did buy this property? Yeah, and we could build a walking track around the entire 11 acre campus where people could walk and jog and pray. Yeah, and we could build another building as we continue to grow and use this current building for kids and youth. And yeah, we could build a gymnasium and start a rec basketball league for kids that, that, that would be second to none, where people who don't even have the money to, to play could come and play here for free. Yeah, and we could get the kitchen up and running and we could serve hot meals to our rising transient community. Yeah, and... What can we accomplish with a group of people cheering us on instead of tearing us down? And part of the problem is this. It doesn't just come from outside sources. We've been so trained in negativity that every time an idea or we maybe even sense the spirit of the Lord saying something, something to us, our internal default is, yeah, but... Yeah, but I tried before and I failed. Yeah, but I'm not qualified for that job. Yeah, but I don't have enough money or resources to make it happen. We've trained ourselves to expect the lowest possible outcome, and that is not God's best. We put more trust in Murphy's Law than we put in God's Law. Murphy's Law says if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. But God tells us that His Word will not return empty or void, but it will accomplish that which it was sent forth to do. 
Scripture tells us that we are overcomers if you're a Christ follower. We are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. We are loved. We are joint heirs with Christ. God wants us healed and free and made whole. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God, the Creator of the universe. The One who spoke and everything we see came into existence is our Father. Either he's God or he's not. Either he's able or he's not. There is no in between. And it's time to raise the level of our expectation. But yeah, that's how we live our lives. There is no in between, but somehow we get stuck in the in between. The old saying is Christians aren't as guilty of telling lies as they are of singing them. Anybody ever heard that before? Right, we love to sing the songs. Nothing is impossible. Not a simple simple. You're the God of miracles. I believe you're my healer. I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. We sing the lyrics, but they're far from our hearts. But if these songs, a lot of which are actually verses from Scripture, were to really get inside of us, it wouldn't just change the way we sing. It would change the way that we live. We're caught in this in-between. I want to believe, but my life experience, my expectation is you won't come through. We're trapped in this cycle of doubt and fear and unbelief. What if God doesn't come through? This is a good place for a yeah, but. Yeah, but what if he does? What if I try and I fail? What if you don't? What if I don't get healed? But what if you do? Mark chapter 9, we have one of the most real and raw moments in all of Scripture. In a culture where Jesus had rebuked the religious leaders for looking one way on the outside, but being very different on the inside. In the midst of that, we find a desperate man, a father, who was raw, unfiltered, and authentic. And I connect. I connect to him in a big way. Mark chapter 9, verse 14 says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son, who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? I see, This is so interesting to me. It's funny to me. Like this major moment, this boy is having a complete demon possession fit. And Jesus is like, how long has he been like this? It's like, yes, the father's got, you know, I don't, I don't know. This to me, this is like a weird dynamic. This kid is doing whatever the father just described right beside him. From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, listen, listen to this, the heart of this father. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. Help us. He's saying, I've heard you can do anything. 
I've heard you can raise the dead. I've heard you can open blind eyes. I've heard you've healed leprosy. I've heard all of these things. If you really can do anything, can you help us? Take pity on us. And Jesus said, if you can, if you, if you can, you're saying to me, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately. And watch the in-between. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I love the transparency and the authenticity of the moment. It's raw and it's real. Here's Jesus, the one who is known for doing miracles, the one who heals the sick, raises people from the dead, opens blind eyes and deaf ears. And on the other side is this, is this father who's desperately searching for help for his son. But his life experience, even from just moments ago, tells him that his son is doomed to be like this. He took him to the disciples and the disciples could not cast out the demon. His life experience, his expectation from the son, always dealing with this over and over again. His previous life experience has caused unbelief. Ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. I brought him for prayer, but it didn't work. I came to the altar, but it, it didn't work. I'm still sick. I cried out to God for deliverance, but I'm still bound. I asked the Lord to take away this addiction, but I still find myself struggling every day. Now, I'm not even sure that the things I've heard about you are true. If you really can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And the story continues through verse 29. Jesus cast out the demon and the boy is completely healed. But what I want to focus on the most is the mindset of this father. And this is where we live our lives. We believe God can, but we're not sure he will. And so fear keeps us from asking. We'd rather not know than be told no. Here's the question. What are you believing God for? What are you expecting him to do? We often talk to Jesus the same way that this man did, if you can. And Jesus is looking back at us today, and he's saying the same thing that he said to this father. If I can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Listen, the level of our possibility is directly related to the level of our belief. So if the direction is to raise the level of our expectation, the obvious question becomes how? And I think one of the keys is what we're reading about. We must raise the level of our faith and raise the level of our belief. Hebrews 11.6, a lot of people in the room could probably quote this. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Everything in our Christian walk comes through faith. If we're going to raise the level of our expectation, we must raise the level of our faith, raise the level of our belief. Look, God is sovereign. He's able to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But more often than not, he responds in accordance to our faith and to our belief. And so if we're going to expect God to do more, then we must begin to believe God to do more. Bishop Tim Brown always says this, what you expect, you make preparation for. I mean, the most obvious example of that is a couple who's expecting a baby. What do they do? They buy, buy clothes and diapers and a car seat and a bassinet or a crib. Right? They're preparing for something that hasn't arrived. 
It's not here yet, but it's on the way. I can't see it yet, but I know it's coming. I haven't held it yet, but I'm starting to see the signs. See, raising the level of our expectation means raising the level of our faith, raising the level of our belief, and raising the level of our preparation. How does this translate into a practical way for us? Look, and I can't answer that for everyone. For my family, it's been numerous things and decisions. One of them was started in this church. I mean, we set out, we set a public launch date of February 4th, 2018, even though we had no place to meet. We, we didn't know where we were going to meet. Sitting in my living room, I was like, put a, put a date on the calendar. It's never going to happen. I was like, get out of my house. <laughs> but we did. We prayed and we set the date, Super Bowl Sunday, 2018. We searched and searched for a venue to hold services. We were searching for a place to hold 100 plus people, but we only had 20 to 30. We were searching for a venue that could facilitate a nursery when, only baby, when the only baby we had was our own. We were searching for a venue to hold kids ministry when we only had a couple of kids. Our preparation level was based on our expectation of what was to come. Our expectation was based on the belief and the faith that God would do what he had promised. Even though we couldn't see it, we couldn't feel it, we couldn't hear it with our natural senses. We knew deep down it was coming and we prepared for it even though we didn't yet have it because we were expecting it. In Psalms chapter 106, the psalmist writes about the miraculous and the miracles and the faithfulness of God. And he talks about how God brought the Israelites out of slavery, how he parted the Red Sea and the Israelites walked across on dry ground, how God destroyed their enemies. And he recounts all the amazing things that God has done. And then in verse 13, the psalmist says this, Psalm 106, 13, but they soon forgot what he had done. And they did not wait for his plan to unfold. Now look, this message has two separate yet parallel applications. One is for us as a corporate body, as a church. And the other is for each of us individually. What are you individually or as a family expecting God to do in your life? What areas do you need to prepare in order to make room for your miracle? In 2020, we launched a series called Trapped Inside My Doubt. And I only preached a couple of messages in the series because of all of the COVID craziness. But I think that's where a lot of us find ourselves, trapped inside of our doubt. Many of us know that God can. We're just not sure that he will. We're like the father in the book of Mark. Lord, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, but I also possess this unbelief and there's this tension inside. How can these two opposing viewpoints coexist? I think one of the quickest ways to begin to eliminate our unbelief is to begin to focus on the times that God has already come through. May we not be as those that the psalmist described in Psalm 106, but they soon forgot what he had done. When I look back over our brief history as a church, it's amazing the times and the ways that God has come through beginning with the first outreach we ever did. Many of you have heard the story, but in December of 2016, 14 months before we would launch publicly, we planned an outside Christmas movie in the field beside our house, which we're going to be doing again in December. 
With a team of about 10 people, we went door to door. We invited the neighborhood to come take pictures with Santa and watch a Christmas movie on our lawn, and they did. About 60 or 70 people just came. But the backstory was we had no money. And I'd said to Katie, hey, if we just had about $200, man, we could really do this thing right. We could have some giveaways, and we could just make it really nice. The next day, I go to the mailbox, and a family member that I hadn't seen or talked to in over a decade sent us a check for $200.80. I asked for $200. God gave me $200.80 because how many of you know he's the God of more than enough? <laughs> we searched and searched for a venue before finding this place. We first went to a school, and it was going to be $900 a week. That was a number that was just so far out of reach. Not to mention it would have swallowed our little small group. It would have swallowed us whole. So we went to the other extreme. and We found this little place that had three storefronts. I use that term loosely. And we thought, well, we could rent three of these right next to each other. We could put 30 to 40 adults in one. We could put kids in the other. And we could put babies in the other. I don't even know what we were thinking. That was one of the most terrible ideas that we ever had. I say we, but really I mean me. <clears throat> At some point, with no venue to meet in, as I already referenced, we put a hard date on the calendar, Sunday, February 4th, 2018. Shortly after we put that date, I found the place that we're currently in. And I won't recount all of the craziness, but I am going to tell you some of it. You know, outside there were parking spots reserved for the bartender and reserved for the exalted ruler. We would find, had found, not many times, but we found dead, stinking rats behind the door. I mean, behind the bar. Committed, like, what does that smell? Like, how long has this been dead? It's already decomposing and smelling up the whole place. Gigantic elk heads throughout the building. Some of you have seen the pictures. Pictures and plaques that went back 20, 30 years or maybe longer, all over the place. We patched hundreds and hundreds of holes before we paint, painted. God gave us favor. He gave us favor with the people. They settled in at $1,000 per month. And they said, well, if you'll do another hundred, we'll provide coffee. So every Sunday we roll in, they do get all the coffee and stuff ready for us. So that became our price, $1,100 a month. So every Sunday we'd roll in around 7 a.m. We'd back up to this door right here with our trailer. And we'd unload it, pipe and drape the whole building because there's so much craziness that you didn't want to see. Everything was just, everything you see, we would set it up and tear it down. That's why this stuff has wheels on it. It's made to be portable. Shortly after that, the exalted ruler, that's the person in charge, changed. And then it changed again, to which we were told, we're not sure that the new exalted ruler is going to let you meet here. There was a lot of anxiety. What are we going to do? But when we met with the new exalted ruler, they said, hey, we'd like you to stay. To stay. They gave us favor. And then the Bellevue Elks Lodge closed and it merged with Ocala. And they once again said, we don't think you're going to be able to stay. So we went from not knowing if we're going to be able to stay to them saying, hey, we don't really have any other tenants. Why don't you just leave your stuff up and stop setting it up and tearing it down? And that went to a little bit more favor. And then they, gave, they got tired of coming early in the morning and they just gave us keys. And then they said, I said, hey, do you think we could paint? And they let us paint. And so this is what painting looks like. We added things that could be taken down at a moment's notice. So if someone came in, we could, we could quickly pull all the sheet metal down. The cross could come down. This big thing that we once used for a, a photo backdrop. All of it could just be removed in, in a matter of just a few hours. 
We renovated the best way we could. And then it went up for sale. And we were worried. But it sat for sale for over a year and a half. And just this past year, as I was preparing for Easter, I got the news that the building was under contract. And I didn't really, I, I don't want to, I, I won't share all this stuff, but I, I got, it was like a punch in the gut. And if you were here for Easter, we changed the whole stage. We did this kind of production. We transformed the place. And I came across this song. <clears throat> this worship leader named James Wilson has been kind of the soundtrack of my life for the last year. And I came across this song and I just put it on repeat in my AirPods while I would decorate and get everything ready. I'm going to read the lyrics to you. And it says, when I feel walled in by my unbelief and miracles seem forever out of reach, I'll stand upon the words that you've given me because you won't relent until it's complete. Every word you've spoken will surely come to pass. I believe you're moving and you're not finished yet. Creator, healer, wonder working, miracle God, you can do anything. I know you're moving. I know you're working it out. So I will believe because you're not finished yet. I will be confident in you, O Lord. I won't be swayed by what I see right now. A glimmer of hope is breaking through the clouds. I know you'll see me through somehow. Then it goes on and it says, when God opens a door, no one can shut it. No devil from hell can stop what God has started. When God gives you a word, it's ever settled. No devil in hell can block what God has promised. And I would listen and I would work. I would pray and I would cry. I would say, God, you're not finished yet. I don't know what the future holds, but you're not finished yet. Well, that sale fell through. Then a couple of months later, we got word that there had been another offer placed and accepted. And it was a cash offer. And this time, um, this time it went through. But I wasn't phased because I had, I really had let it die the first time that I had kind of gotten that news. I'd already grieved and released my desires to the Lord and said, okay, God, whatever it is you want. So we spoke to the new owner who gave us until November, which is a few weeks from now, to be out. This is a terribly, terribly convinced short version, which brings me up to about two weeks ago when the new owner, who is a Christ follower, he's a praying man. He told me that he didn't feel like moving forward with his previous plan at the moment was, quote, the highest and best use of the facility. And he said, I believe that you guys should stay at least another 12 to 18 months. So I said to him, listen, we're at capacity. We don't have any more room. We need to make some changes to the building so we can move forward. I sent him pictures of what we wanted to tear out, which includes these offices that are right here and the bar so we can expand for our kids' room. And he immediately said, just do it. Whatever you need to do, get it done. Get ready for the expansion that God is going to send. So where does that leave us in 12 to 18 months? Well, my expectation, remember we're talking about expectation. My expectation is that God is going to do another miracle. Because I won't forget what he's already done. See, not only did God give us $200 when we needed it, when we were just needed in our house, when we were in need of a keyboard, and I'm overly picky. I knew the exact brand and the model I wanted. And I found one on Craigslist in Tampa for $1,500, which was over $1,000 cheaper than you could buy it in the music store. Well, 
We only had five or $600 in our account. And I go to the mailbox. And this is before we even launched publicly. And inside was a check for $900. My kids are like, why do you like to check the mail? Well, this is why. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm peeking out the window. It's mail. Let's go. <laughs> Fifteen hundred bucks, and there it sits because money came in right when we needed it. What about the time I took someone to Aunt Fanny's for breakfast because we're high rollers? <laughs> we ate, we ate, and talked about the church. We talked about what launching would look like and how fun it is to dream about and talk about, but how hard it is in reality. And before we left the table, he handed me two cards. One of them was to the church, and the other one was to us personally. And I opened them up, opened up those cards, and one of them was a check to the church for $5,000. The other one was made to Katie and I personally for $2,000. He said, I don't want you worrying about finances as you start this journey. I won't forget what he's already done. What about the church that I came from? We were serving in Gainesville for four years, youth and worship pastor, and they helped us plant this church. They gave us $12,000 when we left. It didn't come all at once, but over the next year, our first year, they sent us a check every month for $1,000. That doesn't include places like Meadowbrook Church. They sent us money every month for the first year. On opening Sunday, one of their staff pastors came and sat, helped us load and unload. I didn't even know they were coming. Pastor Sean Forte. He said, we have a gift for you. They brought $1,000 for our first offering. For no reason at all, the largest, most influential church in our community has invested thousands of dollars over the last few years into our church. So where does that leave us in 12 to 18 months? Well, my expectation is that God's going to do another miracle. Because I won't forget what he's already done. And when I find myself in a moment of doubt, my prayer will be like the Father in the book of Mark. Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. And then I'll immediately look back at all of the times that he came through and gave us favor when we were supposed to lose the building, when we didn't have enough money, when all of the things, I, guess just, I, could, I could make this sermon five hours long talking about all of the craziness. In June of 2021, we launched a year-long campaign called Project 220. And at the time, there were roughly 220,000 people within a 15-mile radius of everyday church. So we began a capital campaign with no previous experience and little knowledge of what we were doing. And over that time period, over the last year leading up to June of this year, you gave $24,538.79 over and above your normal tithes and offerings. A few months before we began this campaign, somebody gave me this envelope. And on it, looks like I got handwriting. It says, for the vision. And so I opened up this letter. This is before we began the campaign. And it's, it says, pastors, for the past couple of months, the Lord wanted you to have this. It's something for the next season. Building transition. God will talk to you about it. This is, not from, this is from God, not from man. I have no idea who this is from to this day. But inside of this envelope was $5,000 cash to start our building fund. So when you add that to what was collected during Project 220, we have nearly $30,000 set aside for our next step. 
part of that next step is the renovation that we're about to start. We've called it demo day, but really it's expansion day. We're expanding in faith. We're believing for a miracle and knowing that God will come through. We're expanding and we're making room. Because what you're expecting for, you make room for. You prepare for. When we knock down these walls, we tear out that wall or tear out that bar in the back. It's a declaration of faith. Expecting and believing that God is about to fill the space that we're making. So where does that leave us in 12 to 18 months? My expectation is that God's going to do another miracle. I won't forget what he's already done. And when I find myself in a moment of doubt, my prayer will be like the Father in the book of Mark. Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. And we have so much going on the next two months. Katie and I talked about it. We prayed about it. And we've decided to pause our next phase of fundraising until January of 2023. Someone took me to breakfast recently, a few weeks ago. And they said, we believe that God wants us to give $1,000 a month toward the facility. And that meaning, I don't even think I understood exactly what I was saying until later. And I was processing. I was like, hey, I don't think I properly responded because I didn't understand what I meant. Two days later, I was in this room. And I was praying. <clears throat> and once again, I said, God, you know what I want. You know what my desires are. I was walking through the back and I was looking this direction. And I said, but this is not the place for us. Help me to release it and help me to be ready for whatever's next. Because I want your will, not mine. I leave the church, driving down the road. I'm on 110th Street, headed towards my house. I'm talking to my former pastor from Gainesville. And he said, Randy, we've invested in you before. He's now in Texas at a larger church. He said, we've invested in you before. We've seen fruit in your ministry, and we're going to take you on as a mission project for 23. And we want to give you $1,000 a month for your building. <clears throat> so I'm going, okay, God, what do you want us to do? And it was like he was going, hey, can you hear me now? So between now and January, in regards to fundraising, what I'm asking you to do is simply pray about what God would have you to do. We don't do pressure here. We believe, as I said earlier, you know, one of our core values is being spirit-led. We believe that the Spirit of God inside of you will tell you what to give. Between the pledges that we already have and some other financial resources that we're reallocating, I believe that in the next year we can raise $100,000. And that's, that's a lot. It sounds like a lot. It is a lot. But I think that God has given us a strategy and a path to do that. One of the reasons that we weren't able to move forward with the sale of the building, maybe this feels more like a business meeting than a sermon, and if you're a guest, you're like, what is this guy talking about? Um, it's because we didn't have any money down. So fast forward to December of 2023, and I believe that our buying power, because of the amount of money that we're going to be able to raise, is going to be significant. And I don't know what God's going to do. My hope is that when I approach this guy again, he's going to say, yep, I'll do that deal. Amen. But if he doesn't, God has something for us. And I won't get sucked down this drain of doubt and unbelief because I won't forget what he's already done. So between now and January, we're just asking you to pray, and we'll give more information, specific information later. 
I believe in faith that money will allow us to, that this money will allow us to move forward with this as our permanent facility. Now, the difficulty of this message is, first of all, it's kind of long. So if you're like, hey, I need to stand up, I need a break. Uh, two, I'm balancing two, two sort of parallel applications, right? A personal application and a corporate application. I wanted to get you up to speed with where we are, what I believe God is doing. But the same thing that applies to, to us as leaders as we try to navigate what the next steps for us as a church applies to us as individuals. Because no matter what you're facing, no matter how hard it is, my encouragement to you is to look back and see what God has already done so that you can look forward and say, well, if he did it before, he will surely do it again. Fear is not my future. You are. Sickness is not my story. Heartbreak is not my home. Death is not the end. Jesus is the end. So at the end of the day, whatever you're facing personally, even if it all comes crashing down, Jesus is the end. He's the answer. If we lost this facility, Jesus is the answer. We'll move forward. If you, I mean, you may be in the middle of a financial crisis, wondering what's going to happen if I miss another payment on my car. What will happen if I miss another payment on my house? What will happen if fill in the blank? And I look back and I say, God has brought me through before. Doesn't mean it'll be easy. Doesn't mean that there won't be loss. Doesn't mean that there won't be times of being brokenhearted. But God always comes through because he's faithful. Let's not be Christians who sing about the faithfulness of God, but don't live with it and don't put our trust in him. Let's be people who trust he was faithful before. He'll be faithful again. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.com.